Right, this is a spontaneous episode brought to you with the Best Side Podcast, and we are catching up with uh, the bro Luke. Man, to be honest, right now his last name escapes me. That's how uh, profound or hohonu, whatever you want to call it, the corduroy has been. Luke McDowell. I met this brother last weekend uh, during a men's walk. Um, yeah, I guess a workshop, I suppose you could call it. It's a lot of things. And this dude was a source of inspiration for so many people throughout the whole walk. Uh, he suffers from a disability. Um, that he'll talk about throughout El Cuadro and the way he handled that and the way that and what it's taught him and the way he lives his life is, is nothing short of magnificent so after I met the bro I teed it up to make sure we catch up and grab a corridor so here it is it's a bonus episode for you all here uh, on the Best Side Podcast. Make sure you leave your reviews as always. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. Make sure you leave those reviews on Spotify, iTunes, Overcast, iHeartRadio, wherever you are listening right now. Check it out. Here it is, Luke McDowell. I'm going to call this episode The Avatar. Stay tuned to find out why. Testing. Testing. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Put it more towards you because I'm pretty loud anyway. <laughs> Sweet, bro. Well, first question I always start out with pretty easy is who are you? Where are you from? Uh, I'm Luke McDowell from Palmerston North. So I was born at home. <laughs> yeah. Came out surfing. Um, so there's all the. I grew up there in um, Cloverley, which is all just a small part. Pretty, pretty normal family and all that. How many siblings and stuff you got? Uh, I've got two older brothers and a little sister. Oh, yeah? And one of my older brothers got Down syndrome as well. Oh, far out. Yeah, so we, we're pretty close. We're 18 months apart, me and all. Oh, yeah? So we always uh, stay in the same, same room. And, and he's older, you said, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 18 months. Oh, so you guys had to share the bedroom yeah. styles. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you always lived in Palmy? Yeah. Um, so I went all schools there university there um after university i moved up to auckland and then started traveling after that but they're pretty pretty well i'm gonna ask you and and i'm sorry this sounds a little bit stink but i am gonna ask but i can't i'm not a big fan of palmy (laughs) like i don't like places without a beach that's my hang up so like tell me some good stuff about palmy (laughs) it's close to a lot of other cool places (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, true actually bang in the middle eh? yeah that's what Three hours up to New Plymouth, two hours to Napier, hour and a half to Wellington, two and a half to Taupo, four to Hamilton, six to Auckland. Easy. Yeah. And it's funny, what's the best thing about Palmy? It's closest to other places. <laughs> We've got, yeah, the, the no water part sucks, but there's it half an hour and you can go to the rivers or the beach. So yeah, it's not the, too I was going to say, there must be some lakes or something around, yeah. right? So all the, the west coast. Well, like from before I come up here for the weekend, I could see the mountain from where my dad lives at Tanglewana Beach mm-hmm. and because that's on the, the curve of the North Island or the bottom of the North Island you can see straight across to the mountain mm-hmm. and so that's only a half an hour drive from home so. Sweet So bro, how did you end up um, like, do you come to Taranaki often or how did you end up up here? Um, really it all started with basketball um, so I played wheelchair basketball and Taranaki was my first team that I played for cause Oh yeah? Army didn't have a team. It was either that Taranaki or Wellington, and Wellington was already set up, and these guys needed new players. So, 
Oh, so they yeah. kind of they didn't really have a scene in Taranaki yet, and they were starting yeah. to develop a team. So you yeah. came in for that. Yeah, so it was all um, B grade at the time. That's how I started coming up here to travel with the team, and then stay here with a few of the guys for a late, late, well, no, another three or four days after the tournament. And yeah. Then I just fell in love with this place. So who do you guys play? Who do you play and stuff? Uh, just uh, there's probably three or four teams in Auckland, two in Hamilton. And then about another three or four scattered out. I'd just say three or four just in Auckland alone. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah so our A grade, we usually get about oh, four to six teams, and the B grade about the same. So, so yeah. how, how's that for travel? Are you up here all the time for basketball? Or? Uh, well, the team here has like sort of finished up. And so I've... <laughs> Like a lower North Island team with all like misfits and we've all joined up. Bit of a mongrel yeah. squad. Yeah, so we've got one player up here who lives out at Bell Block. And we've got me and Palmy, another guy in Mike and I, another one in Hastings. They're all over the show. Yeah. Name, bro. So I guess the, the natural question is we started reading some of these. Do you say you just found these today? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, after we 10 years. started reading some of your, I guess, I don't know if you'd call them memoirs or, or transcripts or your case study from. When you were, would you say diagnosed? Diagnosed yeah. with it? Yeah. Diagnosed with, I'm going to try this, transverse myelitis? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Sweet. So, bro, yeah, I guess, because, I, I mean, obviously, I've just met you on the weekend, um, yeah. and then I think I said to you a bunch of times from the walk that we were on, like, you took away a lot of people's excuses, because you, you know, you had crutches in parts, and in other parts you didn't, and you were hobbling along, and a lot of people who felt like sitting down or having a break or running out of breath or whatever, they just had to look at you and go, okay, fuck, what am I kind of whinging about, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know, I was like that, bro, like, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I'm the world's fittest dude, I love the mahi we do, and I love these walks, but I'm not going to say that walking is my favourite thing to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but seeing you go hard, bro, I know that a lot of people were spurred on by that as well, so... I obviously, having only met you on the weekend and just seen that, that was pretty much, I guess, the, the extent of our interaction, minus a few hugs and hungies throughout the weekend too. Um, I wasn't too sure whether it was something that, like, whether it was an accident or something you were born with or something like that. So tell me about how this one kicked off. So it was... I'll Big question, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll describe what the actual, like, this is, well, what's it called? Disease, I don't know. Disability, infection, disease, yeah. whatever. Um, so it's where your antibodies stay in your blood system after you've had a, a virus or a cold and flu or anything like that. So you get better and it stays in your blood system and then because all the antibodies do is kill cells. So after a while they've got to do what their job is and they haven't So these are, these are like external, like it's like a prescribed medicine, these antibodies, or is it something that naturally occurs in Natural. the body? So okay. it's all like a random occurrence. It's just what our body uses to fight cold and flu and stuff. Yep. So instead of getting out of my system, they stayed in it and um, attacked the nerves in my spinal cord. So they killed off the coating of the cells in my spinal cord. And that was at the level of my armpits. That's like, where the nerves are? That's where, they, where I got attacked. Okay. So like that level of my spinal cord. Far out. Um, and that's pretty much it. So there's no cause for it, like... Could have been any virus or mm. just a cut or anything. Just one of those freak yeah. random things that... So how do the antibodies typically leave the body, do you know? Is it like you yeah, just kind of like piss them out yeah. and they disintegrate or... Yeah, I'm sure it must be. But they stayed in there for you. Mm. So 
I guess take me through that. So what actually happens to your body? You said that the coating, is yeah, the, the nerve coating? Because it's called transverse myelitis. So the transverse part means it's traveled across my spinal cord. Okay. And then the myelitis part is a inflammation of the myelin coating of the nerve, which is like a, a fatty sort of communication thing for the nerves to like, communicate through. The way you kind of explain it makes me think it's like a wire, right? Yeah. And going from like A to B, but then the coating of the wire is gone. Yeah. And then the wire like touches the ground, so then like whatever, so it loses its conductivity. Yeah. Is that similar? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, sweet. I'm going to yeah. think I'm, I'm going to know I'm thinking <laughs> that kind of, right? Yeah. So, so it's not a break or anything, but yeah. It's just... so, so tell me about you getting diagnosed, like, or about you finding out. Like, was it just something you woke up one day, you found a bit strange, or were you at school playing, or, or what happened? Yeah, so it started off like a normal day, really. Um, I went to school and everything was fine. And then my first class in the morning, I had uh, trouble breathing, like just out of the blue. Sure. How old were you, sorry, bro? I was 14 at the Far time, uh, 2010. Bro. So yeah, I had trouble breathing and then I had no idea what was going on. So I got a note to go to the sick bay, which probably didn't even need. I probably could have just... probably could have <laughs> yeah. stayed through. <laughs> but went to the sick bay for... I don't know, probably 10, 15 minutes until my mum could come back. Mm. But in that 10, 15 minutes, I started getting uh, pins and needles, sort of tingly. And that was started in my right foot. Okay. Uh, and then my mum came and picked me up. And then by the time she picked me up and took me to the city doctors, my right foot had already stopped moving. And so I needed to get into the wheelchair and stuff to even get into the doctors. Uh, and then... So that's probably. So this is pre diagnosis and everything. This is yeah, just you just, sitting at school and you're already in a wheelchair yeah. before you get in. Yeah. Dark now. Um, and then that just kept travelling over the time. So that was probably the first 40 minutes we got there. Can we say travelling and just keep moving up the leg? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So I went up to my my leg. So it was just the same. It went pins and needles and then it would just stop. Hmm. And that travelled all the way up until my armpits or where the line of the disability is. And then. Went across to my left side and back down. Fuck. So that went from... Took four hours to go from normal to fully paralysed. Out of no cause or no nothing. I was going to say, bro, is there anything you've learned in retrospect or whatever that could have stopped it? Or is it just one of those fucking one in a million it's, things? Yeah, it's, it's a one in two million chance of getting Is that it. what the actual yeah. stat is? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, so there was nothing I, I mean can't help the antibodies that generally do the good thing mm-hmm. yeah so it was just a uh, random so all right so you're you're in the hospital now i guess and, and it's traveled up and stuff what happens from there like how do you like are you rushed in sort of like a into an emergency room are there is there like in your waiting room with people going nuts around you or how does that work um at the time my body just like shut down i couldn't stay awake for long or i couldn't wasn't really thinking about what was happening. It was just like blank thought, like nothing was thinking. And yeah, I was yeah. just asleep for half of it. It sounds like your energies were just yeah. focused on like, like the fight. Pretty like, much, it's, yeah. Like, there was a fight going on, like yeah. now nah, we don't want to lose our feels. Yeah, yeah, Mate, yeah, you got yeah um, The doctor at the city doctor kept me there for a while trying to like work out what was going on because mm. they thought it could have been a stroke or 
because it was all on one side or they they weren't sure at all what was happening um once they gave up they ran through to the doctor uh to the doctor to the hospital and they got me put straight through to the children's ward oh so you were just at your gp at this point yeah oh like shit 24 hour yep. doctor or whatever it is yeah and then i went so i was there for probably three maybe two and a half three hours and they ran straight through to the children's ward and then i got the ambulance straight into the ward where I got seen straight away by a doctor who's from Aussie mm. and she had seen it before in Aussie so she was like well it's either one of these two things so we're going to start getting Testing. scans and do the treatment because it's the same treatment for yeah both. for both yeah. yeah what was the other one that it could have um, been it's called Guillain-Barre syndrome which is where the um, the numbness or whatever travels all the way up and then goes back down again mm-hmm. but whereas my one's a stops at wherever level it was attacked but it's the same sort of treatment. same kind of result but yeah so with so okay you're in the hospital now and then people are around you I guess like poking and prodding or how, how's the testing going yeah so I had I'm trying to remember my first test was a lumbar punch where they take some of your spinal fluid <laughs> But I was pretty lucky at the time, because, well, semi-lucky if you, depends how you look at it, but I had no feeling at the, on my lower back, so when they took it, I was quite happy to not feel that needle going in. Yeah. But they were doing tests like the lumbar punch, had an MRI, um, x-rays, uh, but yeah, they couldn't find anything on that first MRI, so they still kept the same treatment for one of those two to um, disabilities but I ended up getting transferred to ICU on the second night yeah so I was getting half hour checks at, <laughs> during the hospital as well 24 hours because mm. I couldn't um, breathe properly and all the muscles around my lungs and that weren't working yeah everything was kind of switching off right or yeah the whole lot was just it was all switched off by then. Um, yeah, so I had nurse, all the nurses had to do everything for me and just getting checked every half hour because I didn't sleep properly and all yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, took me to ICU, which was out of it because everyone there is usually put put asleep and made to breathe, but I was only there as a precaution. That was weird. <laughs> so you're like you were kind of fully functional while spending time in ICU. Yeah. And everyone yeah. else around. Like, yeah. you, you don't see other people though, really, right? In ICU, like you're in separate rooms, or do you still see no, was, the was, other? There was probably eight of us in there, and I was the only one awake. Ah, they were all the... in like drug induced comas and shit. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Was, was, did that feel morbid, bro? Yeah. It, it sounds morbid. It like pretty, it sounds yeah. like not. No disrespect to them and not to freak people out, but it's like you're almost in a morgue of sorts. Like you're lying there with dudes that... I know they're alive, but they're kind of not at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, you can't. And you were 14 when this is going down, right? Yeah. Were yeah. you freaking the fuck out, like in all honesty? Or no? Nah? Not at this time. Mm-hmm. At this time, like I said, it was just my brain. Bro, I'm like freaking out. I don't really get heavy jeebies and <laughs> yeah. stuff, but that's like giving me a bit of duck skin. Yeah. Yeah, at the time it was just... Just no thoughts at all. Like, well, probably did it at the time, but I never wrote it down or anything. Yeah, yeah. But trying to remember now, there was no, no panic. I suppose is the word. Mm. And it was just 
And what about your family? Like, can you remember? Yeah. Do you remember them like freaking out and stuff like that? Yeah, what, it was what, definitely what I... worse for mum and dad than it was for me. Um, they split up probably like three, two or three months before it all went down. Fuck, that's yeah. not that long really. No. So my dad was a fireman and mum was working at a school at the time. But So dad was on shift work, so it kind of worked out all right. They could rotate, yeah. take yeah. shifts to kind of hang out with you. Yeah. Far out. But at ICU they let, I think dad stayed with me most of the time in ICU because it was only like an armchair and stayed overnight and stuff in there with me. But yeah. And between me and the nurse that was on it, the nicer you, that was about it. What about your siblings, man? Did, like, mm. what do you remember from them when your time in there? Uh, it wasn't really until I got stable that they came and visited properly. Okay. And I remember my brother with Down syndrome, Aaron, he, he was freaked out at the start just with all the, the tubes coming off me and needles and stuff. Yeah. But after a while, he got used to it and stuff. And my oldest brother, who's four years older than me, he stayed overnight a couple of times with me and stuff, which was always nice to break up the having mum or dad. Yeah, yeah. Time. Less less serious banter, eh? Yeah. And obviously, because mum and dad, can, like, this isn't a disrespect to mum and dad, but we know mum and dad can be overly concerned at times. Sometimes yeah. it's nice to just yeah. chill out and get back to your brother, who just still calls you a dickhead and gives you shit about yeah. stuff. Right? <laughs> exactly. So then go from like. How long are you getting tested and tried out and stuff but between like them trying to find out what it is and them knowing what it is? Like yeah. what's the process sort of there? So from the from when I got into the ICU for the night, it was probably just under three days. And then when they worked out that it wasn't travelling any further up, they were like, oh, we're gonna do some more tests to work out what it actually is. And so I had another MRI that they did with the dye. And then that brought up the level of my spine where. It, where Can you explain to people listening like how that works? I I know, but just from your own words, how what happens there and how does it help them find stuff? Cool. So I'm not actually too sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, the dye works. Yeah. Um, they inject the dye into your blood system that I think it just brings up like inflammation and things like that by memory. Yep. Could be quite wrong. No, no, you're right. Yeah. And then I was in the the actual machine getting tested for, I think it was two and a half hours. Fuck. And the MRI. Yeah. And those time, machines aren't quiet either. No, no, no. <laughs> and I remember, I, I think did I they, fell Did they give you music or nah? No. Nah, oh, shit. Yeah, it was, I think I fell asleep, to be honest, but I wasn't sure because you wake up and everything's the same. Mm. So I don't even know if I fell asleep or not. It's a big hoo of a noise too. Mm. So I was in there for yeah two and a half hours while they were trying to work out what was going on, and then once they found the level and decided on what it probably is, they went from there. So then, how did how was the news broken to you? Uh, they said we got it wrong, <laughs> but it was the same. Because they thought it was that Gillian Barry. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say Gillian. Yeah, yeah. So they thought it was that. So they just said they were wrong, but the treatment was the same for both. So they, there, there's no, there's yeah. nothing wrong they could have done. But they, did, I'm pretty sure they told us at the start that it's either one of those two things. Um, the treatments just they give you like a immunoglobulin, I think it's called, which is a a blood product sort of thing that 
kills all the antibodies off. So that stops them doing any more damage. Mm. And then the treatment, and that was for a week. So I was on that intravenous for a week. And then after that, we was steroids to help repair and stop them from making I was going to say, because like the things that you've mentioned about like, you know, not getting motion and stuff like that and, and battling to like even roll over in your sleep and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, you don't... And I mean, maybe you've just learned to deal with it better, but obviously I'm looking at you, you're walking around, we fucking climbed a mountain together on the weekend. Yeah. Like you don't seem so... So that's what how they repaired that was was through medication and a bit of therapy and things. Yeah, um, so that's all they could do was stop the antibodies and give me steroids to help repair it. Um, at the time, I still couldn't move, so I had to have um, pillows under my legs and stuff, so I didn't get pressure sores and all that. Yeah. Um, what was the question? <laughs> no, just I guess, how do they break the news to you? Like how, uh, how uh, like to you and your family, I guessing, or they tell mum and dad first and come see you, or do they tell you all together, kind of? They would tell us together. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah, they just said, oh, it's this one, because this is the level, it's not going any further, it's not going to come back down. They said, now, give us, gave us the prognosis or the treatment plan, which was, I think it was 10 days of steroids intravenous, which was horrible, really. Because like, mm. it makes your food taste like shit and makes you feel a little bit dopey and everything. But Do you know why that is? I, I, no, I don't know why. Nah. It's just a side effect of whatever type they use. Yep. Um, so that was generally my first probably week or week and a half was just in bed, stuck in bed with... Getting juiced up. Yeah, and IV drip and nurses checking me every hour or so. And, and did you have to have physiotherapy or anything like that when it came to getting up and at them again? Yeah, so after the treatment, um, while I was still bedridden, I would get... You know, they would come and do stretches with my legs and make sure the function, or not quite function, but the yeah. mobility was still there. Mobility, in case blood, phone, stuff. When it yeah. comes back sort of thing. Um, so that was the first two or three weeks, really, in hospital. Um, and then it went from from that to getting used to sitting up again. You like, make me feel nauseous and stuff just sitting up. Mm. So I got used to sitting up in my bed and trying to move around. And then that transferred into the standing table. So they strap you into a table, which has a thing that tilts you up. Oh yeah, horizontally. I was thinking, what? You're strapped to. I was yeah. imagining strapped to a work desk, but yeah. I know what you mean now. Yeah. So that way you get used to standing up again, and your body gets all. So that was like half an hour a day, hour and a day. Fuck. And just keep building up on that. Uh, then it was the next step after that is to get used to being in in a wheelchair, mm. which was which was weird. <laughs> just, uh, but it was good when. I mean, I did it after, I think it was about three or four weeks in bed, being, not being able to go see anything. Yeah. To being in the wheelchair, to being able to go to the cafe at the hospital or any of that sort of I want to ask, do you, do you remember, like, through the therapy and stuff like that, because it sounds pretty tough, do you remember, did you ever lose your shit and get frustrated or, or fucked off or anything, any part way through? Yeah, I remember I had a really bad week. So the first week or so was was probably one of the worst ones where the thoughts that come up were sort of things like, oh, what am I going to do? 
you know, how am I going to get a girlfriend or how am I going to play sport or how am I going to hang with my mates and walk around school and all those sort of things mm-hmm. kept popping up. And then with the physio sort of side of it, it was not too bad because I didn't really have a, have a choice and my body was still fighting it. So I'd do a little bit of physio and then sleep for another three hours and then wake up, do a little bit more, and then it's dinner time and go to bed again. <laughs> well, yeah, today, like the physio, I guess you can kind of rest from. Yeah. But those thoughts that you mentioned, like there's almost no rest or escape from that. Mm. So how did you do, did they, did they give you therapists and stuff to speak to at the time? How did you manage that? Uh, so I had a, like a team, I think it was once a week we would have meetings. So it would be a, a nurse, doctors, um, a social worker would be there, my parents would be there. I never really had like a counsellor or a psychologist or anyone like that. Because I was pretty good. Like, well, most of my thoughts were internal, I never like, acted on them or... Mm. And I was always joking with nurses and stuff like that. Um, but my thoughts... After that week, it was only a week, so I was pretty lucky, really. But after that, they changed from, you know, what am I going to do, why me, to all this sort of thing, to, oh, better me than a mum with four kids, or better me than an eight-year-old, or those sort of things. It changed into that, and then... It's very selfless of you, right? And then from from there, sort of, been able to work out what I was actually in control of, which was how I thought about it all. Cool, man. So then, okay, so you, you're you in hospital for an extended amount of time, physiotherapy and stuff's over. Talk to me about, because you went back to school, I'm guessing, if you're 14 when this all goes yeah. down, you've still got a few school years left. So talk to me about first going home. Like, when you got out of the hospital, tell me about going home and, and getting used to life yeah. back at home. So I did 10 weeks at hospital. Um and then after the 10 weeks, the first trip was with Dad down to go back home because they had to test me before I could go home. They had to test me getting in and out of cars oh. to check that I'd be safe out of the hospital or whatever. Yeah. So I had to transfer myself, which I had like a little um, a curved board that they call a banana board. So you stick it on the arse on the wheelchair and the other side goes onto the seat you're going to. And so you just shimmy across. Oh, yeah, like a arms. little bridge that you kind yeah. of make. Oh, it's like a, it sounds like one of those horse, yeah, uh, yeah. shoe horn things. Yeah, yeah. It's the same principle, pretty much. Um, I actually learned to transfer without anything by watching the movie uh, Avatar. Oh, oh yeah, Jennifer Bryce got no use of his legs. Like, no one at the hospital, no OT or whatever, thought to tell me that I could just lift my leg up to move it. <laughs> they they yeah. wanted to and give you a board to transfer yeah. yourself and stuff like that. And I never thought about it. Until, until you saw it. Until I saw the movie at hospital. And then I did it. Shouts to James Cameron and then I did it by myself one day and uh, got in trouble because there's no one around. <laughs> I just jumped onto the bed and did it. And then they told me off later, but it turned out to be like what everyone does anyway. But there was no one else in wheelchairs at the hospital. The That's funny. Day. It's like one of those like things that people like, it's like a non-lived experience type thing. Yeah. You know, like people who can, they can do all the theory or study they want. They'll give you some answers, but unless you've got the lived experience, yeah. you don't have the real answers. Yeah. So it's, it's it's crack up that like people in your position had already figured out ways to do stuff and already had things that they did, and there's people who have no clue what it's like. Like they've got 
obviously they see things but they don't experience it yeah, or yeah, live yeah. it themselves and they've got an idea of how things sh- should happen for you yeah it's weird eh? yeah yeah it just cracks me up that i learned that off a movie yeah um so you can you've learned to catapult yourself into yeah. the car <laughs> and get around and stuff like that so that's the first test to going home yeah what about arriving home what can you remember arriving home yeah uh it was it was odd really because it was just me and my dad at home at the time during the day and it sort of felt like going back in time, if that makes sense. What do you mean? As in, sort of felt like the whole hospital experience wasn't really my experience. But then I got home and it was like, so I was home walking around and then went home the next day and I'm in the chair. Mm-hmm. It still felt the same as when I was walking around, which is a good thing really. But yeah. Sort of felt like that 10 week block wasn't really mine at the time. Weird. Yeah. Because it all felt sort of new as well. Trying to like, get around the house in my wheelchair. I didn't have a nice wheelchair, but they stitched me up. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back. Uh, so it's like you... It's like you were... Like it was familiar because it was home, right? Mm. But it was unfamiliar because of your new predicament? Yeah, yeah, because I had to sort of navigate it differently. So what are some of the things that you learned that you had to do, like, differently this time? Obviously, there's a fucking lot. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned how Avatar taught you how to get in and out of the car. (laughs) There must be some other little nooks and crannies that you kind of picked up along the way that were pretty Um, interesting. I had a a lot of equipment to bring home with me. Um, So the fire service built a ramp for me at the front. Um... Then I had a pressure mattress so that I still couldn't move when I was laying down in my sleep. So if I didn't stop pressure sores and all that, have like a fancier mattress that stopped it. Yep. Um, I had a, a monkey bar under my mattress which had the handle above my head so I could pull up on that to sit up. Oh yeah. Um, in the bath I had to have a, because we got a shower over our bath, so I had to have a board that went across the bath to sit on, so I'd wheel into the bathroom, transfer onto that, get my legs in the bath, and have one of the tap shower ones that they have the suction things onto the tap. And oh, yeah, 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 the old plugs, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's how I would shower in and stuff. And then I had one of the standing tables as well in the lounge, which took up most of the room out there. And then, yeah, that was pretty much, got used to getting dressed myself too, which was always a mission, what? trying to find the, the balance to sit and then lift my legs up to put socks on and all that sort of thing. But so they ever like, like it's, it's trippy for me, bro. It's just, it's interesting to hear that like, it's obvious and I know there's going to be people rolling their eyes that are listening to us talk, but like the, the simple things that we take for granted, I guess that turned into being quite a big effort for you. Yeah. Did that ever cross your mind too? Like, were you like, holy fuck man, this is going to be a mission now? Yeah, um, well, like, part of the 10 weeks at hospital is getting you ready to go. So, mm-hmm. like, probably, I'd say, two, three, three weeks of it was learning how to, like, get myself dressed and go to the bathroom myself and do all this stuff without having a nurse or mum and dad to help me. Yeah. So there was a f- good few weeks where I was just trying to learn the techniques, but after a while, you sort of can adapt and work out your own ways to work and I remember in hospital um, we knew someone that brought their kid in 
for a couple of days and her granddad was in the wheelchair but he was an amputee, double amputee. Oh yeah. But I don't remember too much but I remember his one like bit of advice was like, you'll find a way and that was all he said. <laughs> and I was like, hey, whatever. But it is true, like you just sort of work out what, what suits you. Yeah. <laughs> and by that time I had enough um, arm strengths and stuff I could pull myself up and stand up to you know, pull my pants up and stuff like that so far out man yeah. so then school tell me about school going back to school yeah that was weird so I missed out a whole term at hospital itself and then I think I went back for two days a week by memory so I went I missed out so I got sick in term two of in year 10 Missed out term three because I was sick. And then in term four, I did two days a week with still like three days of physio sort of thing. Um, and then my friend grew, I didn't want to... sort of felt scared to come back in a way because I didn't know how people were going to react or any of that sort of thing. I mean, mm. they still tried to give me schoolwork at hospital and stuff, but that never, <laughs> that never worked out right. Um, I had a couple of friends visit me at hospital, and so I just only a couple. So I went and just hit them up before I was going back to school. Like I'm going to be stuck in this classroom, sort of thing. Come, come chill with me, sort of thing. And then and that was only for two days, so I sort of just worked into that. And then as people started seeing me around school more, it sort of started to build back up to be normal. But went from like two days to three and then to five and then it was the end of the year <laughs> it didn't take too long to get, get that far yeah. so then with um like with your schooling and stuff did like we are you into school like were you ever interested in school did you like school um i was always like middle of the road just uh, just your average student yeah like i always played sport so i always had like i played rugby since i was four and I always played some sort of summer sport and something else to go with rugby and stuff. So I always had like my sports teams to, we were always my mates and stuff growing up. And that was my group of friends at school at the time. And so how was that, not being able to do that anymore? Yeah, I didn't actually feel too bad. I remember in the hospital, one of my mum's friends, like a close family friend, um, I don't know how the convo came up, but she, I said to her that I have more chance of going further in Paralympic sport than I would have <laughs> <laughs> normally. I just thought you could look at it and crack up that yeah. way. And she cracked up and then still reminds me about it. But um, Yeah, so at school it was just like casual stuff. Like Some of my mates would play basketball, so we just I'd cruise around with them and throw the ball up or whatever. And, and your wheelchair? Yeah and fall out a few times and all that sort of thing and run into each other and it wasn't like nothing changed really yeah apart from me sitting down so how did you segue from because yeah i mean when you're saying that a lot of your social circles and stuff were built around the sport so what about like outside of school the, the social aspect of stuff outside of school how did that play out did that change much uh yeah so it was pretty quiet really for the first year i suppose so yeah, 2011. Mm-hmm. It was. Didn't re- try, don't think I did that much outside of it apart from like 
the odd birthday or something like that. But once I got onto crutches, which was a year afterwards, so that's, a, that's another segue. But once I got onto crutches, and then I was more active at school and started going out more and doing the usual school things you do at high school. Yeah. So then with the yeah, I guess let's go there with the wheelchair and then going into crutches was like the wheelchair something that you proactively like I'm not going to be in this all the fucking time or how did how did that happen was it always part of the plan that you would only be in there temporarily um so what is a prognosis they say a third of the people get better like fully healed and can walk again and everything a third get stuck in the middle somewhere and then a third stay in wheelchairs oh shit and so I'm pretty much stuck in the middle but my left leg started getting muscle spasms not too like pretty quickly after I got probably within the first two weeks and then the strength and the movement sort of came back real slow out in that 10 weeks at hospital and then I'd say another two months of physio after that I was able to stand up so I like pulled myself up and used my leg and my arms to stay up and and that just built on from there where I was able to use my left leg pretty normally. Mm. And they do a test, like a strength test, where they get you to move it, your leg without gravity and then with gravity and then with someone applying pressure on it and stuff. Oh, shit. And so out of a one to five, it was about a three on that scale, which was like, I could move it against gravity, but I couldn't um, have someone, like if someone put their hand on it, I couldn't. Support it. It'll just drop there, and so I was able to use that to. That was how it sort of how it all started. Um, the next step from the wheelchair is to go on to uh, a walker, but I didn't want to use a, a walker at all. Like a quarter. Yeah, I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. Um, so I went straight <laughs> on to crutches. <laughs> Skipped out all of that. So I had had to like pretty much swing my bad side through so it was still with no movement or bending or nothing so I just had to drag it along pretty much because I refused to use while you were on crutches yeah um as far as my thoughts at the time uh, I was sort of like well I can handle being in a wheelchair so I wasn't worried what else happened Mm. I knew it wouldn't get worse so I wasn't too worried I was at peace with it being in a wheelchair if it stayed there or I could have got better so I wasn't too too worried how do you go with um taking help from people and shit like say for on the weekend for example I have to admit I don't know what to do when you couldn't walk in times because I've been have both experience with people like yeah give me a hand and I've had the other experience with people like fuck off leave me I'm fine yeah you know I wouldn't say they've got an ego about it but like they just they yeah. like to prove that they can do it themselves, you know. How do you think you go with that? Is it is there a bit of you that's kind of like fuck off, I can do it, or are you quite open to being helped, or what are your own thoughts there? Depends what I'm doing. Um, it took me ages to get used to it in the wheelchair, so I couldn't handle. I still have a little bit of it, a feeling when it happens, but people behind me in the wheelchair and or like wanting to push me. If you're just wheeling yourself yeah, along. Yeah, if I'm in my... Because I still use my chair for, like, long distance or in crowd. Yeah. So if someone's behind me or wants to push me, I find that real weird in the wheelchair. Because yeah. it's like, if someone's walking, you're not going to push them until you're yeah, yeah, yeah. faster, are you? 
<laughs> so if someone's walking, you don't push them. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm going to remember that, bro. And like, when you're in the chair, you're faster than everyone walking anyway, so it's, it's sort of like annoying. Um, as far as going out, it depends what I'm doing. So if I want to challenge myself, like in, in the weekend with the trip up the mountain, I wanted to see how far I could go and what I would do to climb over the rocks instead of wanted to see what fit the best. So in those times, I'll usually go as far as I can. And then if I can't do something, then I will, or if I'm going to be in danger, I'll fall over and crack my head or something. Yeah. Then I'll ask for help. But if I'm not challenging myself and I need something, like I do festivals with, um, my mates in that and then I'll ask for help then and say, oh, can you push me through the long grass or things like that. Oh, yeah, just, just to make it fucking asshole. Yeah, just to make it easier and things like that. With, um, I'm not too sure how to ask this one, Brian. I don't, I don't mean to, like, invoke any sort of negativity, I guess, but did you ever or have you ever, like, had that whole thing where you felt like a bit of a burden to people because of, like, I guess needing the help and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a pretty normal feeling for the while well, I was using the chair permanently, because um, I couldn't. I didn't have a, a car or anything like that where I could do my own thing. So I was always relying on people to take me out, or or their car wouldn't fit my chair, so I couldn't go. And I remember we had our they do the big a big camp at school in year ten, and I couldn't even go on any of them. So I just took a week off and stayed at home. And, and it's just because, like, it was too much of a mission to take all your shit yeah, or? Yeah, And I didn't know. I was still sort of working out all the ins and outs of it. Yeah, so. But how about these days? Nah, I feel sweet now. Yeah? Yeah. Because um, I get the best both of us. I can walk places. I can climb stairs. I can bring my wheelchair with me if I need it. And, I mean, I've got all my maintenance with my body sorted and, so I'm pretty sweet now. Um, a big part of that was I did another week at a spinal unit in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. And that was two years after, so 2012. I went down there and they pretty much helped fix up all the symptoms. So I got Botox in my leg, which stops the muscle spasms, and which made my walking easier. I had a splint, just got better managed to like set myself up for the rest of the time after that. Yeah. So then tell me about getting into um, playing wheelchair. Does it called wheelchair basketball or does it have its own name? Just wheelchair basketball. How did you get into that? Uh, so three years of oh, the whole time I was at school, I didn't do any sports. I didn't know what was around and all that. Um, I guess after I must have just got achieved because... I started looking up Paralympics and trying everything and found their website. Um, and then I went to my school sports coordinator and I said, can you help me find something? Because <laughs> I didn't know what was, there was no options and nothing advertised. And she knew somewhere, uh, Halberg um, Trust, they have a, they had an advisor for Longanui Manitou and Taranaki. Okay. And she got like a newspaper article, like the company newspaper sent to her email and she like sort of never thought of it but knew the name. So she got in contact with him and he came down to school 
and was like, well, there's a, a rugby team, a wheelchair rugby in Palmerston. So I, That's pretty fucking gnarly, eh? Mm. I've seen a couple yeah. games, bro. Fuck, it's, it is hardcore, bro. Yeah, they little run around in little tanks, pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the only rule with that is you're not allowed to hit behind the axle. And other than that, you're pretty free to hit from that. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I started playing that in my last year of school, probably the last half year of school. Sort of got used to that. And it was good to get back into the team environment and the competitiveness come back and talk shit to each other. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then they told me, because I wanted to start, after a while I got pretty good at it and wanted to be in competitions and that, but then they said, um, to qualify for wheelchair rugby, you have to have three limbs affected. And of course my arms are like fine. So I didn't qualify as a, for wheelchair rugby. Okay. So they give you like classification, which is a number based on how disabled you are. Oh shit, really? Yeah. And it's like that for almost all disability sports. So like. So you're, you're on a scale of like one to 12. And you can Yeah, two. one to four. And, four yeah, and each yeah. one's a category of sport you can play. Yeah. Well, for each sport it's different changes, yeah. but you know, if I wanted to do cycling, they have to get another assessment and all that sort of thing. Far out, I never so knew, that, bro. So that I'm not like yeah. trying to run a race with an amputee with a blade <laughs> or something. Um, so I didn't qualify for, qualify for that, and I was like, well, if I'm going to play sport, I want to play to be good at it and go far. So I looked up all these other sports I could play, and one of them was basketball. So I went back to the same guy and then turned out that was on like a Wednesday and then on a that Saturday they were playing a friendly game against Wellington and Wanganui, which is only forty minutes from home. So I said, sweet, I'll come to that <laughs> come to that and I was shit as it was. <laughs> I was terrible. Um But again it was good like another group of mates, um, especially like from from this area, they were all like down to earth, chill as, all new to the sport as well. So it was real, like family vibe sort of thing, which I loved. So I played that, was shit as at it. And then another, I think it was two weeks later, they had another game, and I didn't do anything in between. Like training wise yeah, or anything? No, no, nothing, didn't research anything. And I was shit again, I was like, ah, stuff this, I'm not gonna be shit. So um, my mum's work was at a school then, and they let me use the gym from three o'clock till five o'clock and I was at uni at the time so I was going so I had heaps of free time so I went trained two hours a day up until the next competition which was uh, North Island Champs now, How long? Like between? How long did you get to train? That would have been probably a month just over a month Sweet. so I went from being like the worst person to like being up there with like top three or four players on our team sort of thing Yep and then that just took off from there, really. You know, sort of kept researching, looked up on YouTube and all the American stuff, and worked out all the ins and outs of it, and just carried on. You pretty much did what you did with Avatar, right? You yeah. watched it and saw a little wing things you could do and yeah. take advantage of. So then, bro, tell me about that. Like, what 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 is basketball kind of giving you then? Because uh, you're the reason why I ask is because. You know, when we were talking about being in hospital and stuff, which I understand hospitals got negative connotations anyway, yeah. but the moment you started talking about basketball, bro, your whole demeanour's changed. <laughs> you're sat up, you're smiling. So it's obviously done a lot for you, yeah? Yeah, heaps. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown of like, my history after school. 
So I started basketball when I started uni in 2014. Uh, did the first year of basketball, half a year of basketball, where I got up to a good level for B grade. I was one of the top players in the B grade. And then that led me to getting into the juniors for New Zealand, which is under 23 for the wheelchair basketball. Sure. So I got into that and then that exposed me to like another coach, and like an actual coach, never had one yet, <laughs> and more structure around basketball. I finished that year of uni and then in my second year of uni, so I was still doing the New Zealand stuff and playing for New Plymouth, but it was taking up like three or four weekends a month. And so my uni, uni size started to fall down a little bit. So I went to the sports people out there and they let me uh, join into the sports academy there, which you usually got to apply before you get to uni. And then you got to get through and have get the scholarship and all that. Mm. But they let me just tag along to the seminars and if I needed a, um, an extra week or so on an assignment, they would... So you're like an unofficial student of sorts. Yeah, yeah. So they did all that and then my third year... I, was it my third year or second year? I'm not too sure what second or third year, but I basically invited myself to go to the New Zealand men's camp. Right. So I was getting good enough then to be... Like I ended up captain for the under-23 team and stuff. From for there. New Zealand? Yeah. Oh, right. So that was in my second and third year, was it? Uh, and then I just invited myself to the men's camps with a couple of the um, players from the Taranaki team. Uh, so I got, that third year was probably my big year. So after my second year of uni, I started training. I probably did about four or five hours a day in the summer and some holidays. Four or five hours a day of training? Yeah. Fuck. I mean, there was rest and stuff in there, but. Yep. So I would do, that was out at Massey still, at Palmy. And then, so that, my next year I was like improved heaps because it was the first time I did a proper off season sort of training, training camp. So I went yeah. from like average to like pretty good and then I was doing all the men's stuff uh, in that third year I didn't make the squad properly or anything like I might have only got a couple of minutes and I went away to with them to Aussie played in the club thing over there but I was with the New Zealand team but I didn't get to any minutes and I had to play for Auckland and stuff like that yeah then uh, after uni, also that was the third year, and then in the fourth year, still training and everything, um, but I got a scholarship, so my degree was psychology, philosophy and human resource, because before my disability I was going to do psychology in the army. Okay. But of course you have to pass basic training to get in there. Why? What, what, what inspired you? What made you look at that? Uh, not too sure. I think at the time I just knew I had people skills like a way to influence people I remember one of my mates who was like I don't want to describe him like this because it's not quite right but like just a typical like stereotype from the hood sort of thing yep and then he said I was as I made him well not made him but I influenced him to stay in school for another like till year 11 and then I was like oh I I could change people yeah <laughs> and then that's well, honestly very like you've nailed it like if you can get a mate to do that mm. you might think well mates are easy to influence we all know that mates are like one of the hardest yeah. because they know you're bullshit too yeah 
So, yeah. bro, that's huge, and I'm, and I'm glad you can acknowledge it. That's massive. And how, is, is it the whole party? Was there a bit of Linton camp influence in there? Was there you wanting to help out the defence force? Or, oh, I just sort of wanted to do it for as cheap as I could. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose they hook it up. Yeah, they? yeah, 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 that yeah. makes sense. So then, but there's so many things that you've touched on. Um, one of them would be that stands out for me is it, it sounds like. Um, dedication and, and discipline is big to you is that fair to say yeah 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 so it's all about this something every day like as far as i go with training i'm like as long as i do one thing every day even if it's watch footage of the paralympics from five years ago or whatever mm. as long as it's something every day that was makes me better than yesterday then i'm sweet there's one percent yeah yeah and then also, um, you've spoken about, like, I guess, I don't know what to call it, whether you call it resilience or what, like, just kind of getting on with it and then seeing the, the I don't want to say the negatives, or the positives and the negatives, but it kind of is, you know, as corny as it sounds. Do you think that this whole, for lack of a better term, bro, ordeal has, like, taught you to just soldier on and look at the bright side? or Yeah, I think... The biggest shift that I had was when I figured out what I was in control of. So once I worked out that all I was in control of was how I reacted to things, then I could deal with everything a lot better. So I remember being in the chair and like people staring and stuff, but then once I like remembered like, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, they're gonna react however they react. Mm. I'm only in control of how I see them, so I'll just smile at them instead of like, don't look at me. <laughs> and so, yeah, so you're, you're, you're taking control of the story, right? Like, yeah. instead of you being yeah. like, I am this, you kind of changed it to, I get to choose what I am, yeah. like, not yeah. their expressions or even their tones or whatever. Yeah. And but then that's huge. Over time, I've practiced it enough that I've been able to build up to, like, where not a lot externally now will um, influence me. Mm. So if someone's sees something bad or... I'm like, it doesn't affect me now because I'm in control of how I react to to whatever's happening outside me in the environment. You know, it's all up to you. Yeah. I mean, bro, well, look, but, but it's been fucking awesome, like, chatting and, and, and chilling with you this afternoon. Um, I want to know, I mean, we don't have to go there because I understand it's a private thing. Um, can you speak to your experience on the weekend at all? Would you be willing to talk about the yeah. walk at all? Yeah. yeah. So I guess what, what took you there in the first place? I'll try and make it quick, but we... Um, you don't have to make yeah, it quick, yeah. bro. It's all good. We've so, no time limit. I had... Uh, so I developed the way of thinking, you know, like I was saying about re- reading and reacting. And um, another realisation I had in hospital too was, like, I'm not really my body. <laughs> it's Elaborate. Yeah. Um, I think I get what you mean, but I just want to be it's sure. It's sort of like a detaching from my body. Like, I didn't need my body to be to do what I wanted with life. I didn't need my body to be happy. That's fucking yeah. powerful, bro. Um, so once I, so there was another big lesson I learned, but I sort of developed the way of thinking and then at uni I took a Asian philosophy class, which uh, there was a type of Buddhism, which I was like, oh, that's sort of how I already think. <laughs> what, what was it? Oh. Um, Hawaiian Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's not a really a they don't really have a practice it's all like a philosophy based 
sort of thing, but it's sort of like the thought process behind Zen Buddhism. Okay. So it's sort of like their Zen's philosophy. Mm. And so I thought about all that and I was like, Huh, that's how I think. And then I just sort of went on tangents from there and kept exploring different things and like the power of nature and going outside and different ways to heal and um, like noticing that how everything's connected. Like I noticed that in the hospital, like looking back, how big I had of a ripple effect with people that I affected. Like mm. I didn't realise at the time, but looking back, I like, yeah, like, Oh, people my dad worked with, their like sibling kid or something like that would would send a message to me for a letter or through my parents or something and looking back I'm like shit there was a big big ripple effect just from being me. <laughs> I'm glad you yeah. you use that that term ripple effect man because it is right it's like yeah. and its simplest form a ripple is a transfer of energy it's it's energy yeah. moving through a water and creating that little bump. And essentially that's what we all are. We're all drops in the water that send out these yep. ripples to all the things we do. So yeah. you paying attention to all those things and being interested in the teachings and learnings and like for lack of a better term, the signs of nature and yeah. and life as a whole, this led you to the walk. So how did you match yeah. up those kind of that criteria or how did you sync the walk with everything that you mentioned there? So I was I'm asking both like as yeah. someone who facilitates these walks and also as someone who's just generally interested in, in your yeah. thoughts here. So I felt Sort of like I was the only one who was thinking like this until until I met Wolf, pretty much, um, yeah. who's one of our friends. Uh, he he sponsored me in 2015 as an athlete, as part of his businesses with high-performance sport, mm. as well as like other stuff. But, yeah. So he sponsored me as an athlete, and then he got me onto some music which was from narco, which is just a musical form of like all the same sort of thoughts. And so we, we got talking um, and then we, I realised that we were thinking pretty similar and then we just built, built a friendship and I still had all the same friends at school but hadn't quite gone too deep into it yet. And then uh, last year we, I saw a New Zealand Spirit Festival and then I missed out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was um over at my dad's place, which is over the far east coast in the middle of Bumfuck, but all oh, like heaps of my good ass mates and stuff all went yep. to that. Yeah, so before that I met a couple of people that we had like similar thoughts and all that, but then once I saw that I was like sent a message to Wolf of like, Oh, we're going to this for New Year's, you're coming with me and then he was like, Oh, I already just applied to do a workshop at it like yesterday I was like oh sweet well we're going there yeah <laughs> and so I went to that and then that was like a whole community of that just took over from there and then I was talking to people and from there I was like I've had all of these thoughts and now they're being like validated by people there that's their you found tribe bro mm. yeah and so when I done that I was like shit I actually knew heaps <laughs> I just it can be like that, right? Yeah, like yeah. you spend so much time mulling over this stuff and when you don't get to externalise that mm. or talk to about that with people, you sit there and think you're fucking mad. Yeah. And then when you actually yeah, get exactly. to express it to people, you go, oh, I'm not fucking cuckoo. Yeah. Like this is, yeah. I'm not the only one thinking like that. So like I said, you find your tribe, you find your whanau, you find yeah. your kin. Cool, man. Which is so, why it's important to express, really, but in some art 
form. Well, you never know, right? Like, just like what we saw with the mahi we did on the weekend, you often think you're the only one who thinks or feels how you mm. do, and then you let it out, and there's 20 other people in the circle that go, oh, no, nah, yeah. that relates to me. So um, so he let you know about the walk, I'm guessing? So you come up, or how did yeah, that so, eventuate? Um, uh, Wolf and Tane had been um, connected somehow out here through sport or gym or something like just that. Just Plymouth. Just right. something. Yeah, just yeah. Same <laughs> Taranaki, we're all, yeah. we're, all, we're all in the same yeah. circles. And so when he was at Spirit Festival as well, so Wolf introduced me to him there and then on Facebook together and then that's how it all came up. And I was looking for, I wasn't looking for a reason to come up, but I was like, I want to come up soon. And then I saw that and I was like, see, I'll come up. <laughs> I went and did Father's Day a couple of days earlier and <laughs> I just came Got up. Got out of the way. Yeah. So then tell me about, like, like you said, bro, you, you come up, tell me, I know it's hard to kind of articulate and, and abbreviate, but um, tell us about your experience and, and what you got out of the weekend, if you want to. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's sort of, so I thought I was, a lot of people, a lot of us have said this, that we were sorted before we did this walk. But doing the walk, I was <laughs> able was to too, so. like, realise a lot of what I thought was actually just intellectual and not experience, like what we were saying before about mm. the wheelchair. It was like I understood the philosophy of it, but I never... So you're, wa- you're talking a lot of it, but you weren't walking a lot of it? Yeah. Okay. Well, like, I was still, like, nice, but I never, like, experienced it, the whole thing. So, like, being in nature, but I wasn't, like, feeling into being in nature... Or I'd be like in nature thinking about something else or mm. so like actually being able to get back to it and practice it was like a massive part of the walk for me. And then sharing the experience with I don't know how to describe we had so many like different walks of life on that but it was all one as well. It was like a just a big life force walking through the mountain and it was massive. Um and then like the healing at the water, I remember there was, um, we had near the end, when I, we made me put my feet into the water and then there was probably five or six brothers that I remember seeing before I closed my eyes. But that was like a massive, massive feeling. Like it felt like my legs were sitting in the middle of the earth, like gathering up whatever they needed from from there, mm-hmm. and I remember when I was telling someone, another brother that was standing beside me at that time, said to me he felt the same same thing, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> just blew my mind. Yeah. And so and then I got re-energized after that, like I was tired from walking there, but straight after that I was like, felt like nothing happened, like I could go climb up to the top sort of thing. Yeah. And then that was massive. And then Can you speak a little bit to like the four elements thing that you took note of? I just saw your life before yeah, before yeah. I actually came in the door, so that was perfect timing. Yeah, so they from what I understand, our body has certain percentages of each element. So like there's seventy percent water, which most people know, but it makes sense that there's the other three are there as well. So we got I think it's sixteen percent water, uh earth and like Six percent breath or air, and maybe like two or three percent fire, sort of thing. Mm. Give or take. 
Yeah. And so if you're able to tap into the elements outside in the environment, it means you can easier access to the ones inside yourself, which then can lead to transformation and healing and things like that. And I didn't realise how potent it is to have the combo with all four at once. Because usually you'll go to the ocean, go for a swim or something, but there's just earth and water. And then you go, go for a walk and then you just have water and earth or you sit by the fire and you just got fire and air yeah. but to combine all four into one one big ceremony I suppose it was like just blew you away <laughs> it's funny as well right like you talk about like you go to the ocean you go to like nature or you go light a fire or whatever you need to do to get that it's funny though how people always kind of they, they forget that the breath's there a lot the whole yeah. time like it's yeah. literally with you the whole time yeah. and being like like I my mates call me every free and stuff because I always talk about being aware of your breath and things like that but it's funny yeah. like how much it's a game changer right yeah like I have on my phone I have an alarm set it goes off at 7 in the morning 12 in the afternoon 3 in the afternoon and then 8 o'clock at night and it's just simple reminder to take 3 deep ass breaths that's all I do but man, it's like, uh, like I don't drink coffee, so I guess I can't make the parallel. But for me, yeah. it is kind of like that three, that wake up in the afternoon, just yeah. taking three aware, deep as big breaths. Been doing that now for a little while, and it's a game changer. Because it, sure. well, like, ear itself carries sound and carries all that, like, most of our sense of smell, taste, like carries a lot of stuff, memories as well that like, can hold stuff. And like what I was saying before, with the six percent in your body only a couple of that percent is your actual breathing mm. and then the rest is the space in the cells and so when you do do like you're saying your three deep breaths throughout the day you pump up your cells again to and then you get more energy you got more movement and you can work things out better so how did you um how did you start your journey i guess into like the the philosophy side of of life how did what what made you go that way was it the time that you did spend by yourself in hospital or was it before that even or yeah so like the disability sort of gave me the building blocks and then the class at uni sort of added to that and I remember there was one experience that I had so I was like well into it and I like agreed with the philosophy and I was <laughs> wanted to a tattoo at the time and I was drawing um, the, the zen circles which is like a symbol for the universe. And it's all done in one brushstroke. And I was doing heaps of those on a bit of paper. And then I suddenly just felt the urge to meditate. And I thought, this is weird. And I remember that I got a, like a PDF sent from the course material on how to do it properly and where to sit and what to do and stuff. So I, I was doing this at about 10 at night in the lounge at home by myself. And I remember I had like an out-of-body experience where I like left my body, looked back at myself, touched myself in the head and then sprint like flew off down my street and I freaked out after that and like snapped out of it. Returned. Yeah. But then I was like, from there that just like freaked me out. Like, whoa, there's so much more. <laughs> there's so much out there. And then that just went into more and more research and finding more people and then... Yeah, just went from there really that sort of took me to the, the deeper levels of it all so what sort of things have I guess have you implemented or do you practice in your daily life to 
help you embody these things that you've learned? Or what are some of the things I guess that you've learned first and then yeah. what do you do to embody those? Uh so my, don't worry about sounding nuts. Yeah, yeah. Like every episode I've had, someone's got some sort of weird philosophy, so don't yeah. feel like a fucking weirdo. I can see you like bracing yourself, yeah. like shit. How do I attack this right? Because people receive things in their own way. So, yeah. um, the biggest thing I like to think of is how everything is interconnected. So the sort of school of thought that I use is is like a mirror, which reflects all the other mirrors in the universe forever but each mirror reflects each mirror so each mirror is inside each part so each part's inside the hole and the hole's inside each part and then that sort of goes into like yeah. so essentially like from what I'm gathering tell me if I'm wrong but from yeah. what I feel into what you're saying is everything is everything yeah yeah so like how do you say it? like you were saying before like a drop in the in the ocean but we are the, you are the whole ocean. As well as the drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 so that's, that was a huge realisation because then it meant like I was um, kinder to everyone or I could yeah. um, feel into... Like if for me, it's like if, if I acknowledge you as a separate entity, then mm-hmm. it's easier to be mean to you in a way or yeah. like to be unempathetic or not connect, right? But when I realise that we are one and the same or we are somehow tied in, yeah. and then I, like I'm actually, we're not, the way I treat you is how I treat me. Yeah, so like if I hurt you, That's I'm actually hurting true. myself because you're... We are part, one. Yeah, it's thing. all the same thing. So that was a massive step um, in like a realisation. Uh, stillness is real important to me so uh, sort of three types of thinking so there's normal thinking which is like our everyday thoughts and then there's not thinking we try and not have a thought and then there's without thinking which is where there's nothing there's a still some people call it like the void or the universe or so many names for it mm-hmm. but I find that if you can go without thoughts or without thinking you sort of come to, or you're in the moment for starters, and so there's no like worry about what's going to happen or what would happen or what has happened. But then you get more uh, genuine thoughts to afterwards to that align with yourself more. So like instead of thinking about like what your family wants or what your friends want or what looks the best. You sort of come up with more ideas that are better suited to you when it comes from a place of stillness rather than... A place of busyness. Yeah, a place of rushing around trying to fix it. Cool, man. So that can be done in many forms. My way I like to practice it is actually by doing something. So sport, basketball is massive for it. Because um, I'm not thinking about what's happening or what's going to happen. I'm just doing what I need to do. For flowing. So it doesn't have to be like meditation, even though I do a little bit of that if I feel the need to. But there can be so many ways of like drinking your cup of coffee in the morning can be a, a spiritual practice if you want it to be. Uh, so I do that, stillness. Um, plant medicine has been big. I found a, it's called harpe, which is a, like a South American, um, snuff so it's blowing up your nose but it's doesn't like alter your brain or anything crazy like that but it um brings you to a place of stillness again but it 
has health benefits as well. Okay. And so, I would. I'll add that to my list. I've never, yeah. I've never indulged in that. So, um, so I got experienced it at the festival, um, like one on one with the teacher there, and then from from then on, I was just fell in love with it, like connected to me somehow, and I just find it as a useful teacher. Um, it can be overused, but so can anything, really. Mm. Uh, what other daily practice? I do the breath work. Um, I need to get to be able to do it every day, but I should be doing it every day because it's so good. So what do you do, like, for breath work? Because uh, there'd be people listening that yeah. have no idea what breath work is. So I generally do what um, Wim Hof method sort of stuff, which is, like, you sort of breathe fully in and then just relax instead of exhaling fully. So you just breathe heaps in, relax, and then breathe heaps in again. And you do that for so many rounds, and then you hold your breath. And then when you need to breathe in again, you just go fully in and relax, fully in. You do that for so many rounds, and then you feel brand new again. That's fucking yeah. weird, right? Like, can you talk to me about, like, your first experience doing breath work? Because I know mine, like... Well, first time I did it, bro, I was like, no fucking way I feel this good just from breathing. Breathe it, yeah. Like... And I, I don't know, bro, like, I guess I'm a bit of a cynic or whatever you want to call it, but I just, it took me a long time, bro, to kind of acknowledge that, nah, that's all it was. Yeah. Um, what about you? Like, how did how did you go? Not, not necessarily your attitude, I guess, like yeah. what I went through, but just how did you find it? And, like, tell, tell me, did you have that moment of disbelief, like all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I didn't believe that it would alter the way I was thinking. I always thought, like, I'll just do it and see what happens, but I don't think it would change my thoughts or anything like that, but physically, it gives you, like, a, a bounce sort of thing. Like, if you, like, try and throw a balloon that's not blowing up, it's not very good. Like, <laughs> and then when you blow it up, it's sweet. Yeah. So, like, it's that same sort of thing with your body. Like, it gives you more fluidity, more movement and stuff. And now that I know some more things, like, when you open up space in your body, it allows for different thoughts and stuff as well. And so that goes hand in hand with breath work. Like, it changes the way you think and allows you to bring up old memories and stuff because you're giving your brain more oxygen, which opens it up to release more memories and do more work. Yeah, right? do more work. It allows you to fix things you didn't know were there. And, so yeah, that's and that, like you, we talked about that still place too. Like it can it can calm you down. You wax away all the busyness. You kind of yeah. need to look at some actual shit that you might be thinking or feeling yeah. that you kind of avoid by using that busyness. Yeah, for sure. Anything else, bro, that you bring into your life or that you kind of do that that others you think would benefit from? Or so so far we've talked exercise, meditation, breath work. Um, Anything else that you can think of? All good if, if that's kind of all that comes uh, to mind, but... Water is another thing. Um, so try, I try and have water that is more alive, I suppose the word for it. So like, I use the... I have a friend who has a Cajun water which changes the pH level of it. And then after that I let it sit uh, again. Because you can change the molecular structure of water changes to be more healthy for you. Like, I think I heard somewhere where if it goes through like bends in the piping and stuff to come out your tap, the amount of times it does that changes its molecular level 
which makes it not as beneficial for your body as it would. What do you reckon it is, or what what do you understand about the um? It's just traveling through pipes and getting pushed up through gravity and all that changes the the structure of it. Mm-hmm. So when you like, I wonder if it's it stress. Sit. Like a, to me, it sounds like yeah, it would be yeah. stress because it's pressurized. It's getting rammed around yeah. through these things. And obviously a lot of people will think I'm a bit silly saying that because you probably don't see water as like an organic thing. Mm. But it is. So yeah, and it, it could, it could be stressed. So my that thinking is, and tell me if I'm wrong, when you when you like let it sit there for a bit, you're letting it chill out, relax. Is yeah. that kind of yeah. the, the thought? Or, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I don't do that at all, but it makes sense. Maybe it's something I need to start doing. Yeah, and that's as you can do like right now by itself, like just from tap water. But then... You can go to the next level where you get like Cajun water and change the pH or you guys are lucky you guys have got pure one and you put them from here straight from the from the earth instead of through the pipes. So mm. it's that's another thing you do every day that and that just gives you so much more energy but again <laughs> on top of everything. Uh and if earthing is another one. So our bodies are like running with like electricity or extra noise that it doesn't need and then when you're barefoot on earth the it changes like your you can like test it with a voltage thing or whatever it is and that goes down when you're standing on earth and bare feet and because i'm in shoes with my splint for my foot or in the wheelchair half the time i bought a mat that plugs into um a rod that you have outside into the earth Oh, yeah. And so you can earth yourself on yeah, the side. Yeah. Correct. So I've been sleeping with that recently, which has like changed my sleep crazy amount. Like I can, I don't feel you don't feel groggy in the morning anymore. Like it's just you get up and do whatever you like, run a marathon. Or, like, so those are the main ones I can think of. Main, bro. It sounds like yeah, you've definitely left me a lot to consider. Like I definitely never thought of water. Um, as being stressed when it comes out the tap but that's kind of weird to me and I feel silly for saying that because I also know or I've seen I can't remember what it's called you might have seen it as well if you haven't I'll definitely send it to you they do this test where they um, they have three glasses of water right and they tell one cup of water for like a month or something that um, I love you Yeah. one water they don't talk to and the other water they say I hate you and they do that over an extended period of time and to see how those waters change so obviously energy, they are taking in energy or they are seeing energy. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's amazed me that I've never actually related the whole pipe thing and to letting your water settle before you drink it. So it's mm. definitely going to be, I'm going to get some funny looks, I can tell, because I'm going to be, people going to, do you want to drink? And I'll like, yeah, and I'll grab it and I'll sit it down next to me for a minute. They'll be like, did he, did he want to drink or did he yeah. not? But the one question, and I feel like you can definitely speak to this. The last question I, I'll ask, and it's like the one question... I make sure I ask everything else as you've seen is pretty free flow convo. The one question I will ask um, is that there's bearing in my th- bearing in mind that you're not a, me- a health professional, but there's someone right now who is listening who they're having a bit of a rough time. They're in a bit of a rut. What would your advice be uh, to help them get out of that shit place? Well, I recommend back to the elements for sure uh, so if you get out back into nature like I said it changes your energy straight away just by being connected outside with your skin onto the earth um, water like you can have a 
a bath with each element. Um, so like normal, like going to the river or whatever cleans you. Uh, you can have a fire bath, so you sort of like warm yourself with it. And that cleans you again, like earth, mud bath sort of thing, that clears you again. And sometimes standing in the wind, try to let the wind pass through you. That can help release old stuff as well. Realising what you're in control of. Um, sometimes it is like a some medical things, like your body is fighting against you. And so what you think you are in control of might, sometimes you say it's your mind, but like, if that's out of whack, then I recommend leaning on the people that you've got around you. So the ripple effect is huge. Like, you'll be surprised. Like, even if you think you are small, but I highly doubt you are. Like, there'll be a massive amount of people around you if you just give that time and space just a little bit to let one person in to the garden, then eventually from there, just sort of, you'll be able to grow and have a, a wider web that you can lean on. And one thing I've always think about too is like, how bad can it actually get? Like, if I go as far bad as I can get, if I have a, if I can still think, I'll be sweet. And if I don't have thoughts, I know I'll be sweet because I've been gone there. And if I'm not in, not in earth anymore, I'm sweet with that as well. So at the end of the day, I'm like, how bad can it actually get? Because <laughs> It's all just material things at the end of the day. Like our bodies are material things as well. So, uh, it's like you said, bro. Like one of the most profound things you said throughout this for me personally is just that we are not our bodies. Yeah, it's fucking got me tripping and something I'll be digesting for a little while. But um, yeah. I mean, do you have? Is there any socials or anything you want to give out for people so they can find you? I don't know if, and I I imagine that it takes a bit of like fundraising and stuff like that to compete in your sport. So the more people that we can get following you, they might be able to help out or whatever. So how can people find you and get in touch with you? Uh, so Instagram and Facebook, uh, Luke T L F M. Okay. Uh, which stands for the Last Fourth Movement, which is who I'm a part of, and yep. those are like both. Shouts to Wolfie and Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So, so what was that again? Sorry, Luke TLFM. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Luke TLFM, make sure you find them on Instagram. Um, are you, is, that, is that on Facebook too or do they yeah. just... So I've got a, a business one on Facebook. It's only 30 odd people on there. Yeah, yeah. You can find my personal one through that as well if you want to message on there. Cool, awesome. Jump on there, have a look. Man, I'm not too sure what else to say to be honest, but it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Like everything from from before I walked in the door, like when I watched your live before I came here, and then having this conversation, and it's funny you keep on bringing up elements. I do kind of I was like a lot of the time thinking about that Avatar cartoon. Yeah. So it's, it's funny <laughs> yeah. bro, that that you yeah. bring that up. I'm I'm gonna take a limb and say that's probably one of your favorite cartoons. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> so cool man, appreciate you sitting awesome. with me. I look forward to getting to know you a little better. Yeah, for sure. There it is. Do you get it now? Do you get it why I'm calling him the Avatar? Luke McDowell uh, teeing us up on all things that he's learned, I guess, from everything, from his from his life until this point, but definitely touching on his uh, disability, the way that he incorporates the four elements into his life, his pointers on how he dealt with a lot of self-doubt, readjusting back into, I don't want to say society, but you know, trying to get back to normal uh, after having those antibodies attack his body crazy stuff but definitely a dude like if you ever get around him 
you will see how easy it is to just kind of fall into his words and hear him speak and the way that he approaches life with such blind optimism and the amazing things that he's doing with his sport as well uh, for someone that is in a wheelchair man I, I wish I wish he'd gone the full hundy with with the murder ball that that sport is absolutely bonkers but the basketball is no joke either so make sure you go and find him on all socials that he mentioned there because uh, you know how it is here in Aotearoa if it's not rugby or cricket uh, there can be a lot of a lack of funding in a lot of places. So go and find him, Luke. Um, you can find him on Instagram, Luke TLFM. Uh, and also make sure you check us out on Bestside on Facebook, on Instagram as well. And make sure you're leaving those reviews. We love reviews, good or bad. I can't progress without the reviews. I need to know what you're about, what you like, what you don't like. And as always, feel free to challenge me on everything that comes up. Uh, but yeah, been loving having you guys here. I hope you enjoyed that quarter. I know I definitely did. And I'll catch you next episode right here on Best Side.